Maxwell. B-U-X World. B-U-X World. B-U-X World. Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about voice. Without further ado, welcome to the show. All right, and here we go. Where am I? There I am. (laughs) 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 We made it. We made it. Hello, hello, hello. Dustin, how's it going? Going pretty well. Enjoying the summer. Doing all right. How about you? How are you doing? Yeah, all right. I'm getting a couple more grey hairs in this beard of mine, given that I've been living out of a suitcase for the last five weeks and had one property that was flooded, which we couldn't move into, and then another property that we managed to move into in the space of four days. And so now our whole place is full of boxes and bags, and uh, wow. we're just kind of sitting about wondering what we're doing with our life. Congratulations on the congratulations on the move. I, I looked it up on uh, Wikipedia, and it seems like you're just moving from spa town to spa town in the UK. <laughs> I am, yeah. I'm moving. I moved from Tunbridge Wells, which is a very nice spa town, to Harrogate, which is another very nice spa town. Um, I think that I think we're going to move to uh, Bath next, uh, which I think is the only other spa town in the country. So we'll do Harrogate for a while, and then we'll move down to Bath. Oh, that, that's not a that's not a pun. That's actually Bath is indeed. A... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is actually a spa. T- I think it's a spa town anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. Harrogate is actually pretty nice. Uh, I've only been a handful of times. Um, which is one step better than when I moved to Tunbridge Wells, because when I moved to Tunbridge Wells, I had never, ever been there before, ever. Mm. I just drove in, looked at a flat, said, yes, please, and drove out, <laughs> and then moved my whole life there six weeks later, <laughs> which which was intense. But uh, you know the feeling, moving from, moving from the U.S. to Paris, I, you know, yours yeah. is more intense than mine. It's a... Uh... It's it's fun. It's fun. It's a you can you can envision all the your future life with no problems whatsoever. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, this this been pretty problem ridden so far. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, it's been all right to be fair. I'm maybe making a bit more deal of it for dramatic effect. It's actually not been too bad, uh, but you know, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be fun times over the next few weeks. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's let's get on with the show, shall we? Let's welcome our guest uh, onto VOX World, Anna Ralph from here. Day. Anna, welcome. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Any large migrations happening in your lifetime uh, so far? No, um, very minimal migrations. I think we've just been kind of stuck inside for the past uh, for the past year and a bit. So, not too much movement on uh, over here. Yeah, it's <laughs> so. I know you're you're in Quebec, right? Yes, Montreal, and, Quebec. And is it true that everyone in Quebec moves on the same day? Is that more or less correct? Yes, July first, <laughs> which is which is Canada Day as well, right? Yes, which is uh, kind of a cruel joke, I guess. Um, you always want to book your if you're moving in Quebec, you want to book your U-Haul um, as early as possible because July first is just an absolute nightmare. Um, but also potentially lots of good furniture for you to take off the mm. sidewalk. So, you know, something to think about. <laughs> Am I? Am I understanding this correct? Is that actually what happens? People all, move all house the, on the 1st of July. Everyone's leases 
go from like July 1st to July 1st. So you can, right. you can like transfer your lease in between, but like your official lease, like renewal will be on July 1st. Wow. <laughs> wow. <Yeah>. That simplifies <laughs> things, I suppose. It does make for one hell of a batched run of jobs to do <laughs> once a year <laughs> for all these leasing companies and that. Wow. Yeah. Just a very busy day for movers. Um, I guess really good for landlords. And if you're not moving, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I yeah. forgot that's something that's like specific. I always forget that that's not the case <laughs> everywhere outside Quebec. Yeah. The only similarity in the UK is, is that Fridays tend to be the day when people move. That's the only consistent thing. People want to move on a Friday. Uh, yeah. I don't know what it's like in Paris, Dustin. Paris seems to be... Uh, yeah, I don't know from from your from my experience and your stories of, of renting and, and leasing around Paris, it seems to be a different different kettle of fish again to the UK. Possibly, you it's hard to rent during the winter because the landlords can't kick you out during the winter, so they don't want to start anything and you just not pay. But in the US, August is the big big time to move, and maybe in the UK it's the same as well because people are starting school. It's the summer; they're they're getting set up before the school year starts. Mm, mm, interesting yeah it's probably a bit similar to that which i'm about to find out school wise because uh, our kid will be starting school soon uh but yeah yeah we'll see we'll see how harrogate goes i mean i'm looking forward to it it looks very nice it seems like someone's just picked tumbage wells up and put it in the north uh or, or actually harrogate's probably a bit older so maybe they've picked harrogate up and put it down south is where i've been for the last 10 years but uh yeah we'll see i'm sure my musings on moving to harrogate will uh will soon become clear uh, and abundant as we progress through the next few weeks on this podcast but uh moving on from from general migration topics uh and 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 general musings around moving dates uh anna welcome to the show and uh, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at heyday and heyday in general just being acquired by by hubspot congratulations on that sure thanks um it was hootsuite but um hootsuite sorry sorry see, um <laughs> no worries. Um, I have definitely made that mistake in my brain. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, I'm the lead conversation designer at Heyday. Um, I've been there for I think I'm coming up on my three on my three years in in early September. Um, so it's been it's been a pretty crazy journey to kind of think of you know really. I think we were maybe ten to ten people total, you know, founders included, and um, this little kind of startup hub in Montreal called Notman House, a little closet with a, you know, AC that we had to kind of stick in the window to, you know, 80 people, uh, $60 million acquisition to, to Hootsuite. It, it's, it's kind of crazy to, to really think about where we started and where we ended up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, my main responsibilities, you know, just creating the personas for our bots, um, designing the UX, the customer journey, um, the end user journey, maybe I should say. Um, Heyday is kind of uh, twofold. So we kind of have, um, you know, the, the product for the end user. So that's kind of the automated AI powered chatbot side of things. Um, but we also have um, the customer service agent side of things. Um, so we have an agent dash dashboard um, for uh, customer service agents to handle tickets, chat with clients, uh, things like that. Um, my background is in copywriting, um, though, which is probably kind of important for me to mention, given, um, you know, kind of the, the different journeys that customer that uh, conversation designers kind of take. 
personally, I started in copywriting, ad agencies, um, content writing, SEO writing, um, uh, mostly in Toronto. I moved back to Montreal and kind of stumbled into this job. Um, sounded really cool. I was like, cool, I get to give robots personalities. Can't say no to that. Um, and three years later, here we are. <laughs> wow. Wow. Nice. It's um, it's a funny, I know of quite a few copywriters who have ended up going into conversation design. Um, it's a quite an interesting background, but you mentioned that, that, you know, people are coming to conversation design from, from a lot of different backgrounds and maybe we'll get into some of the trends that you're seeing and all that kind of stuff in terms of your, uh, the team that you have and all that. But were you, were you at here from the start then you were saying? Um, pretty close. I think I was maybe employee like five, uh, five or six. Um, so yeah. Wow. And when, when was that? Three years, three years back, 2018? Yeah, so yep. 2018. Um, it was myself, our four founders. I think we had one salesperson, one designer and a couple developers. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Interesting. And has it, has it been the same products the whole time or have there been uh, significant shifts and pivots? Um, I mean, I think, I think the core of our product has honestly remained like we've been quite true to, to, you know, the kind of the initial, um, at least when I started, you know, the initial kind of conception of the product, um, we had, we did kind of narrow down our, our focus, um, to retailers, um, you know, as opposed to kind of, um, I don't know, hotels and, and things like that. So I think we kind of narrowed our focus of, um, you know, who our product is really built for. Um, but we have remained quite true to, to, you know, to just delivering better customer experiences um, to customers online. Interesting. So you've got the front end, which is the live chat element, which is the kind of automated um, sort of like customer service bot, for want of a better word, on sounds like predominantly retailer websites. And then you mentioned that there is also something behind the scenes in, in the back for the agents that work at, you know, let's, let's take any retailer, B&Q, like a, a hardware sort of retailer in the UK. Let's say that there's, there's, a, there's a widget on their website that can ask questions about product services, but then behind the scenes for the people in the customer services team, there is something for them to take over and, you know, live chat kind of handovers and stuff like that. Is that right? Exactly. So it's just kind of an agent inbox, an agent dashboard, um, you know, for if they want to jump in and kind of um, take over the conversation or if the end user, you know, wants to chat, um, they couldn't find their answer via the AI and they want to chat with someone. It's just kind of the, the human, kind of the human side of, of our product. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think has attracted Hootsuite to Hede? Because there's lots of live chat solutions out there that seem to do something similar to the what what Hade is doing behind the scenes, like intercom and stuff like that. Um, and then those also have into either integrations with conversational frameworks like Watson and, and Microsoft and Google, etc. Or some of them actually do have their own rudimentary 
automation capabilities, not that they all all necessarily center around natural language um, and not all with a focus predominantly on retail. But what is it that you think Heyday, I don't know whether, no, I don't want to put words in your mouth or ask you to put words in Hootsuite's mouth, but from your observations of other providers, what is it do you think about Heyday that is different to something like an intercom for argument's sake? I mean, I think it's also our, our focus on social. I know that we, you know, we, we talked about a lot about how, um, you know, obviously Hootsuite is, um, you know, a social media um, management platform. And we kind of fill in this, this gap to kind of complete their um, kind of that customer journey on social. But personally, um, I really believe that the thing that, you know, truly differentiates us, obviously our product is really fantastic from end to end but it's really our team of people. It's how we treat our customers. Um, it's the kind of service we give them. It's the, you know, the personalized bots that we give them, which um, again, probably just tooting my own horn, but we have a really great team of conversation designers and copywriters um, who really put in a lot of work to kind of create these custom, these really custom personas and custom bots for our clients. So they're not just getting something out of the box. They're not just getting you know, copy and bots written by developers, they're really getting kind of that um, kind of agency service, um, that really kind of careful uh, copywriting and crafting and branding, um, you know, that you would kind of expect to get from, um, from an ad agency. So from my perspective, it's, you know, that's really something that differentiates us and really kind of um, puts us above and beyond um, from others in the space. Interesting. And I don't know whether you know how the future will pan out with Hootsuite, whether there's anything that you can say publicly about, you know, plans and, and things like that. It's obvious. It seems obvious to me, at least, that Hootsuite is obviously a social media management platform that has all of these different channels coming into it with people sitting behind it, scheduling tweets and posts and stuff like that and monitoring what's incoming and monitoring hashtags and all that kind of stuff. It seems as though integrating that into that suite for want of a better word would be a logical place to go um is that is that obvious is that the plan or is that not something that is um publicly kind of addressable should we say <laughs> um to be quite honest it's still very early days i think we're still kind of um i mean we're not entirely sure um kind of how would it all fit together um in the future um, I know that, you know, Hootsuite and I think ourselves, we just really want to take our time um, to make sure that, you know, we, we kind of integrate, you know, into each other the right way. Um, but, you know, they, they're really, they're really, really great in, in kind of supporting our growth and supporting our, um, our independence. Um, so things are kind of status quo for now. Um, but TBD, I know there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things that, you know, that we'll, we'll see how they, how they pan out, but um, so far status quo, but we'll see. Should be a very interesting few months coming up. Nice. Nice. And you, you've got quite a, a nice roster of customers as well, which I, which I imagine was quite attractive. And can you talk a little bit about the, the benefits that some of these customers, whether you have any data case studies that they've seen by moving onto your platform? Yeah, I mean, we have a really great 
um, really great roster of clients, obviously lots of nice big brands that I think anyone would be, <laughs> anyone would be really happy to work on. Um, I know that we've, we have, a, I, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I know that we have um, a few really good case studies on our website. Um, I believe Popeyes is one of them. And we were able to just, um, we were able to reduce um, the number, obviously the number of kind of escalated requests to agents, which is something that um, we kind of pride ourselves on doing. It's one of our main goals is to reduce, you know, the number of kind of repetitive kind of mundane questions, um, you know, that customer service agents get inundated with every day um, to kind of let them focus on the things that matter a little more, let them focus on sales, let them focus on, you know, um, those requests that kind of need more of a human touch. Um, but I know that, you know, over the course of this past year specifically, um, we've definitely, you know, we have quite a few stats and quite a few um clients where we were able to reduce um, the number of escalator requests quite significantly, which, you know, given COVID, it was, you know, it was getting a little crazy for a lot of our clients. I know that I think everyone was really excited to go get a bike, you know, everyone wanted to go buy a bike because gyms were closed and they wanted to go bike outside. Um, and, you know, they were like, we really need to get this, we really need to get this thing live because we have too many requests and not enough agents. So, um, I know we were able to reduce those um, quite a bit. Interesting. It's interesting how um, you're, you're talking a lot about customer service and Hootsuite. I suppose over time, if you think about a provider like Twilio or something like that, where Twilio is providing the technology that would give customer service agents the ability to be able to do similar things to Hootsuite, managing incoming contact across a variety of different channels. Hootsuite is a tool that I predominantly would associate with marketing people, though, as opposed to customer service. In your experience, where are you seeing the requirements for not just the automation for your likes of Heyday, uh, but in terms of the clients that you're working with and the teams that you're working with, Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that there's a requirement for conversation design skills in the marketing team or is it predominantly in the customer service team? Where are you seeing the demand for these kind of skills? So that's a really good question. Um, more and more we kind of see kind of how important um, social commerce is. And I think that's kind of where um, um where that comes in as far as, you know, having conversation design on, you know, on marketing teams, or at least having marketing KPIs and marketing um, goals, sales goals in mind, um, you know, when, when, you know, creating a bot, it goes, I mean, it, it shifts from, it varies, I guess, from, from client to client, depends what their KPIs are. You know, we have clients who, um, you know, they're, they want to increase sales with their bot. They want their bot to be kind of like a shopping assistant. Um, that you know obviously increases sales, encourages users to to buy products, recommends products, um, or even you know encouraging them to chat with you know maybe the agents on the other side aren't customer service but they're salespeople, so encouraging you know encouraging them to chat with the salesperson so they can make more sales. So I think you know and you even see it on Instagram as well with shops and you know. Facebook shops, I forget what their product is called as well, but you kind of see that more and more, um, you know, social platforms are kind of leaning towards 
kind of melding a bit more with e-commerce. So I think um, something to consider for sure, um, but always kind of depends on, on what the clients really need and what they want their bot to accomplish. Hmm. Have you seen those uni ovens? Have you seen them? Have you seen them, Justin? I don't think so. No, never heard of them. They're like pizza ovens, but they're gas-powered. And so you essentially just get this box that turns up with little legs on it. You plug it into a gas canister, it fires up, and it's just like a pizza oven. Make your own dough, stick it in there, and... 30 seconds later, you get yourself a pizza. Looks really, looks really good. The reason why I say that is because I followed them on Instagram today and every second post is basically a social selling post. There's a little dot on there. You click on it and it brings up whatever the picture is. Little link to go to the website to have a look at it and obviously you can buy it. Now you've got Instagram Messenger is able to have bots inside of it. Facebook Messenger, obviously you can have bots inside there for a long time. This seems to be what you're, the thread I'm trying to kind of pull at is you were mentioning there that around, you know, this kind of automation entering marketing teams is being used and it's entering this social selling space. Where do you see the kind of future of that sort of space? Can you envisage, for example, Instagram messaging becoming part of that sales journey? Is that something that you've been exploring at, at here day? I mean, I think it's it's also kind of built into our product. Like we have an entire feature um, that's essentially designed to, it's a product search inside the chat. Um, we have another one where, you know, and that's kind of custom by the conversation designers. Um, but, you know, product recommendations, like product quizzes, you know, making sure, um, you know, based on the customer's answers to, you know, a few questions and we display you know, dynamic results based entirely on, on um, you know, what, what they're looking for specifically. Um, you know, we have a really great bot for um, Popeyes. Um, they are a, they're like a nutritional supplement company um, throughout Canada and in Quebec and Ontario. Um, or, you know, we really kind of take them through that journey um, to, to show them, you know, exactly what they're looking for. And even on the, the back end, um, for customer service agents or salespeople, um, they themselves can also recommend products to um, to the end user. They can show product cards, images, links um, instead of just you know kind of a boring hyperlink. So I think more and more it's it's you know there's a lot more that you can do with chat than just you know than just talking. Um, Instagram I think is also um, we're working on. Um, integrating um with instagram as well um so i i mean again to be determined but i think it's kind of an a, you know it's it's a place that we're headed um sooner rather than later nice apologies for my uh sorry Dustin. i just want to apologize for my absence just there i thought I'd, i thought i'd blew you up on the screen my phone rang and it was going off behind me on the ipad i wanted to get down and turn it off i didn't realize i was still on camera apologies for that <laughs> no, I, I, I was going to say, I think it's quite interesting. We've obviously spoken with a lot of B2C conversational designers, and we've, we've also worked with some, or not worked with, we've spoken with some who are B2B, but they're designing conversations for their end users, or they're designing conversations to communicate with their end users. I think this may be, may be the first time where we're speaking with someone who is in a B2B space 
but the brand is going to be the, the sort of the face of what the consumers are speaking with. So in that context, what does a conversational designer do in that B2B space? I mean, what do you mean by, by B2B? I mean, yeah, I mean, so you're, you, you have customers, but yes. the customers aren't speaking to Heyday, right? They're speaking to Popeyes okay. or they're speaking to et cetera. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess it's kind of multifaceted, right? You kind of have three groups of people that you're trying to make happy, right? You're trying to deliver what the client wants, but you also need to deliver what ultimately, you know, helping the end user get whatever they want, you know, as fast as possible. And we're trying to make sure that the, you know, the, the customer service agents, um, and admins are, are getting what they want. Um, I mean, personally, like being able to draw from my experience um, in ad agencies um, was very helpful um, in kind of being able to communicate, you know, end user needs to our clients. Um, and given that it's kind of such a new space, and I say this all the time, um, it's a really kind of exciting and cool space to be in because I feel like clients kind of put a lot of trust in us, um, given that it's still kind of a new and up and coming space, obviously over time, and especially in the last three years, you kind of see clients becoming a little more educated on, on chat and, you know, they're asking about best practices. Um, you know, they, they'll kind of pull stats out, um, you know, that they found themselves. Um, but so they, they kind of trust us a lot in, in the decisions we make, um, for their end users. So I think that trust kind of helps manage those, all of those expectations from those different groups. Um, and we do, again, kind of take a lot of care to, to make sure that their bot is on brand. We go through an extensive onboarding process, you know, through feedback and making sure that the bot sounds like, um, sounds like their brand. Um, and we, we work really closely together with our clients to make sure that, um, to make sure that we get that bot and that, you know, that experience um, exactly where we want it. But it's definitely an interesting kind of intersection of, of three different groups of stakeholders, you could say, you know, it's like three different groups that are gonna be using this um, quite intimately. So um, definitely some, some juggling to do. Mm. And are you finding that it's similar to, you mentioned the, the amount of trust that's placed in you. Do you are you finding it similar to, for, for example, um, let's say if you're building a website or something similar to that, you've got a stakeholder over here that wants it to look this way. And then you've got, you know, the person who's going to use it behind the scenes in the back office wants it to work in this kind of certain way. And because it's web, everyone has kind of an opinion because they understand it. You know, if you put any, if anyone's ever had any experience of putting something like a new CRM system into an organization or you're, um, you know, making a new service live on a website or something like that, you've got lots of different people that understand web, understand systems, understand how they want it to work. And none of that is always aligned with what's in the best interest of the end user. So that's, that's always part of the, of the game is to try and do that education, but still you've got people who are, as you say, fairly educated in, in what they want. And so you've got a lot of things to contend with. Are you finding that you're in that situation often, or is this still such a new space that there isn't quite as much sort of, um, 
what I, what I want to say is like the whole concept of too many cooks spoiling the broth sort of thing, or you know, everyone's opinion ends up watering down the solution sort of thing. Are you feeling that that's the case, or is is there still enough trust placed in you that that you can guide uh, and 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 steer the direction of things? I think that we we still kind of have um, a pretty high level of trust, given you know, you know, in in you know, this like ad agencies and then um, like you said, you know, web design. Um, I think relatively speaking, we still have quite a quite a bit of trust in us. Um, and I feel very lucky to, <laughs> to, to be able to say that. I think we can, I don't know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who can relate to, you know, being in a being in a client meeting and having, you know, one of the big bosses be like, hey, my wife had a really great idea at dinner and I think we should scrap everything that you did and worked really hard on and we should just go with my wife's idea because I think it's great. I was like, okay. Um, but um, I, I think, I still think we're kind of seeing a bit of a shift. Um, but I mean, I also kind of try and take a bit of um, the, the, the questions that they bring up. Like, I, I still think there might even be some value, you know, if they say like, hey, why can't we do it this way? And if we really can't, then we really can't. But maybe it's kind of worth asking the question of like, oh, you know what? Maybe we can try and do it a different way. Um, you know, given, I don't know, there, there, there's so much we can still learn about this. And, and um, it could all be, always be worth exploring, kind of asking the question or considering the question. But um, yeah. Hmm. And so how many conversational designers, how many conversation designers do you have now on stuff? Uh, so we have three, including myself. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, Adam, who just joined us uh, about a month ago, um, who is our English conversation designer. And we also have Miriam, who is our French conversation designer. Um, so we have, we do bilingual bots, um, bilingual experiences uh, in-house, given that we are um, based in Quebec. And um, we are hiring. <laughs> so if there's anyone out there who is a French or English conversation designer or you're interested, um, you know, given that Hootsuite acquisition, we are definitely growing. So um, three for now, but hopefully more soon. And, and how has that hiring process been? I don't know if you were uh, hiring when you were a copywriter as well, and maybe you can contrast the two, but how has the process been for you as a hiring manager? Um, I mean, it's been super interesting. I didn't really participate in the hiring process um, in the, you know, when I was a copywriter earlier in my in my career. Um, but it's been pretty interesting on a few fronts, um, just kind of seeing the background of, of people who apply, um, seeing kind of why, um, why they want to, to be a conversation designer, or what was it about the job posting that kind of um, intrigue them. Um, I always just ask why out of, out of sheer curiosity. Um, and it, it's interesting because we see a lot of people from, you know, we've had developers, we've had kind of academic writers or, you know, academics, people writing their thesis um, in maybe kind of a different field, but they're kind of interested in writing. We've had, um, you know, people, um, kind of content creators who are super interested in it. Um, I know Miriam has a, you know, she's a kind of a translator by trade. Um, she joined us as a, as a freelancer, uh, a freelance translator and kind of um, eventually joined the, the conversation design team. 
Um, Adam comes from a, I hope I get this right, but I, I'm going to say sound design, something kind of production, um, production based, um, and recently graduated um, from the Conversation Design Institute. So it's just been really interesting to see just the different backgrounds, um, I guess, from, from our side and just kind of seeing other conversation design job listings um, at other companies to see kind of what their requirements are and how they, you know, they change from ours. You know, some conversation designers or positions are really, you know, they're very dev heavy. Um, you need to know how to code or some of them are, you know, complete opposite end of the spectrum where, you know, we're really looking for um, people who can copyright first, creative minds who kind of have a, you know, a tech itch to scratch and just kind of want to learn, you know, a, a bit more about UX. There's UX designers, there's UX writers. Um, it, it's just been kind of interesting to see the types of people that that uh, that come in. It's kind of like a fun ragtag group of people who just want to try something new in their career. Interesting. What are some of the reasons that, that, that you've heard when you ask the question of why you want to be a conversation designer? It's a lot of, um, and I'm probably one of those people too, um, but it's a lot of people who kind of just want want to change and not really something completely different from what they're already doing, but people who kind of just want to, you know, dip their toe into, um, into maybe a more creative space. I'm thinking of, of one of um, kind of our candidates who is a, a developer by trade, um, you know, really kind of tech mind, but just kind of wanted to get into something a little more creative or kind of flex, you know, his creative muscles that maybe he kind of used on, you know, on his own time. Um, personally, I, you know, I wanted to change from kind of the marketing agency side of things, the content writing side of things. And I do kind of like the UX. Um, I like the, the logic of it. And I like that the ultimate goal is to make something useful <laughs> in the hands of the end user. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of just people who I think want to want a bit of a shift or a bit of a change, or maybe they never really found something that was, you know, kind of diverse and interesting enough um, that intrigued them. Um, I think that's the big one. Mm. And what are some of the things when you're speaking with candidates, maybe something that came with Adam and Miriam uh, that, that quite impressed you? How can budding conversation designers really set themselves apart when they're interviewing for these roles? I mean, personally, it's just like the number one thing I think is just really is wanting to do it, um, is, is being eager um, and being interested. Um, especially since, you know, maybe you don't have all of the, all of the requirements or all of the skills, you know, some, I, I, I don't have any, you know, I don't have a conversation design Institute certificate. Like maybe you don't have um, everything you think you need, which I think can be the case with, you know, some, some other jobs, but to just kind of be interested and be eager and, and willing to learn, um, you know, there's so much again to, to kind of be learned in this space that there's a lot of room for growth. There's a lot of room for change. There's a lot of room to kind of define your own path as a conversation designer as well. So um, to just kind of be open to that and, and be um, losing my words, but um, just be engaged and excited about it. Mm. 
I had somebody, um, and I don't know who it was because it was on the live chat on our website today. Actually, literally today. I'm going to try and pull it up. Uh, and they asked me this question, which I think is a prominent time or a pertinent time rather to ask you the same question, which is where is the best place to find junior positions for an experienced UX designer but that doesn't particularly have conversation design experience specifically, what advice would you give for that person who is looking to try and find a conversation design role, gain experience, but hasn't quite actually done it before? Hmm. I mean, I know, again, I'm going to, I don't know the name of it specifically, but I know that Hillary Black, I'm going to drop her name. I'm sure everyone is is familiar with with her. Um, I know she put together a kind of a conversation design job board that mm. kind of just gathers all of the like every conversation designer job, I think, like globally, I think anything she finds is kind of focused in this one space. Um, I know that's a really great resource. She has another really great Facebook group as well. Um, I think also just kind of cold emailing, you know, just reaching out to other conversation designers um, on LinkedIn or however you can reach them. Um, I've had a few people just reach out to me on LinkedIn just just to ask some questions, um, you know, about the role and, and how I got to where I am. And I, I think that people are maybe more willing than you might think. I just remember being a junior um, like trying to find that first internship when I was 20, you know, I was 21 years old. And I just remember thinking that like, no one's going to answer me, like who reads cold emails. And, you know, now 10, whatever years later, I can probably say with some honesty that people are a lot more willing um, to help and to, you know, to answer your question, to take a look at your portfolio um, than you might think. So, I mean, I would, I would encourage that as well. Um, I try to always answer because I remember how, you know, how bad it felt to, to not get an answer. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's, I wouldn't worry too much, I guess, about the, how much experience you have, or like, if you don't have all of the skills. Um, I mean, it's, I think I think there's enough opportunity like the it's such a diverse kind of job that I really think there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of different types of people. Mm. Shout out to Hillary Black. Uh, that's the exact answer <laughs> that I gave pretty much. Check out conversationdesignerjobs.com. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've lost my train. Oh, yeah. The, one of the problems I've spoke to Hillary about this a number of times. One of the problems that I've seen from uh, companies advertising for conversation designers is that they ask for like four years experience. Now, some yeah. people have been designing conversations for four years, but there's been a, I would say a tremendous influx of people who are interested and in wanting to learn this skill set in probably the last two years or so. Um, one, I suppose it's a two part question. When you're recruiting, are you looking for that level of experience and what's your observations in general from the applications that you've got received? What's your observations about the general level of experience of the market that is applying for these kind of roles? Mm -hmm. 
like we, I think we, on our job listings, I, I'm pretty sure we have like three to five years of experience um, required. This is not three to five years of conversation design experience. It's three to five years of, I guess you can say relevant experience. So, you know, obviously you still kind of need a baseline of, of a certain skill set. you know, for, for our jobs in particular at Heyday, you know, we're really looking for people with kind of a good um a good copywriting background, a good creative background, and the rest we can kind of, you know, we're, we're going to teach you. Um, as long as you have kind of an inclination or an interest in kind of the UX side of things. But, you know, you don't need to be a developer. You don't need to know how to code. We have a whole fantastic group of, um, of developers and programmers that kind of handle that side of things. Um, but I mean, I, I think it's a little, at least right now, I think it's a little harsh and a little unrealistic to have you know to expect to have a really good pool of candidates that all have three to five years of copywriting of uh, sorry of conversation design experience you know um so hopefully we can be a little more you know companies can be a little more open to that and, and see that you can you know there's a lot of complementary skills i guess you can say um that can make for a really good conversation designer mm. interesting um the other, you've mentioned conversation design, you've mentioned copywriting, you've mentioned people who have a technical knack and a technical interest kind of applying for roles and stuff like that. At Heard, and then you also mentioned that you would do another research into other job descriptions and some require more technical experience than others. At Heard, what what's the scope of a conversation designer's role? What is it that you're actually doing? Are you writing copy? You mentioned persona design a number of times. Are you defining intents and, and utterances and things like that? Are you drawing up the architecture? Like what what's the scope of a of a of the role at Heyday? Sure. So um conversation designer is at Heyday. Um I would say it's the majority of it is kind of copywriting, uh persona design. Um, very heavy on that, but of course, um, it's also about designing um, the architecture, like you mentioned, um, of the experience. So defining where users can go, um, what buttons go where, how do we take them down, you know, that, that path to get to their answer. Um, so I would say that's kind of the, the big majority. We work closely with our AI team as far as um, as far as intent detection and, and utterances, but that's not really something that the conversation designer, it's not in our, it's not really in our day to day. Um, at Heyday, we kind of have our, um, we have a, a set of retail specific intents um, that we, that all of our bots are kind of pre-trained um, or can be pre-trained to understand um, kind of based on, you know, data of thousands and thousands and thousands of conversations um so it's it's really about the i would say it's really about kind of the the user experience um the end user experience as far as the the kind of scripted journey that they can take through the bot um because we do kind of have you know there's two ways a user can kind of interact with our bot they can just you know open our widget on the website answer their uh, ask their question right away our ai will handle it and then that's that, or maybe they get escalated to an agent, or if they never want to ask, you know, if they don't want to use free text at all, um, they can just click through the experience in its entirety. 
And that's really where the conversation designers come in to make sure that, you know, we're taking them down the right path. We're offering the right options at the right time. Um, we're saying things in the right way, communicating things clearly. Um, so I'd say that's really where kind of the, the conversation design lies. Um, obviously we work very closely with our dev teams and our AI teams, our product teams, but um, day to day, um, I would say that's about it. Cool. And what is involved in the, we started at the very beginning of the conversation, you were talking about personas, you're referencing personas quite a lot. Um, there's various ways that different companies will go about creating personas. What is it that you include in your creation of a persona and how does that contribute to a better customer experience? I mean, there are some, you know, depending on the size of the client, they may have a brand guide or they may not. Um, you know, there are some brands that are very, you know, very um, kind of heavily, um, a, lot, a lot of work obviously went into kind of creating their brand guide and how they sound. So it's very, very important that the bot kind of maintains um, that tone and experience. Like if you're on the website and the website has a certain, you know, vibe and feel, obviously you want the bot to kind of, um, to kind of match that. So, I mean, I think it's quite crucial in delivering um, a better a better experience, you know, for the end user as well as for the client, you know, um, just to make sure that it kind of matches um, it matches the 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 brand's vibe. I think it's also a really good opportunity to kind of to have a bit of fun to delight the you know delight the end user a little bit, maybe make them laugh um, by using you know by using the the tone of the brand itself because um, it's still you know and, and we kind of talked about this i remember in the early days of, of heyday about kind of the gamification of it all because it's still kind of you know you're, it's still chat it's still a place where you can kind of have a bit of fun you can use emojis it's it's not as dry as maybe just an email interaction um you know it's a place where you can kind of you know you can have a bit more fun so I mean, I think it. I think it can really make all the difference um, as far as delivering a better, a better customer experience. Mm. Especially on the retail type of sites, you know, where you know there's a lot of retail brands who are quite kind of funky, and if you're working on in, in social channels, your demographic is likely to be kind of more inclined to not necessarily take you know not necessarily themselves too seriously but they're more likely to be appreciative of you know the one that i always think of is is the domino's dom bot have you, have you used the alexa skill dustin the domino's alexa no, skill? I haven't, no. have you anna or not no i, I, I slag this off every single time i reference <laughs> it because, because as far as the function is concerned it's not fantastic but the persona is actually really good because it's every time it says something that you don't recognize, it'll say some kind of like um, hell of a jalapeno. I didn't understand that or whatever it might be like. And it'll just kind of like, there's all these little phrases that it says that, that, that are like quite quirky and stuff like that. And so I think you can probably get away with a lot more of that because you're more likely, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're more likely to find those type of brands in that sort of retail space where they can have a little bit of fun with themselves. Exactly. And I, and you know, it's, it's also about putting kind of putting that fun in the right spot as well. You know, if, if they're asking about a damaged order or they never received their order, like that's maybe not really the place to, you know, put a GIF and a bunch of emojis. Like you don't want Oops. to just be patronizing, like, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, um, 
but you know if if they're asking you know they ask the bot like what's up or like are you real or whatever you know like you already know if they're asking that question then they're you know they're trying to mess with it they're trying to have a bit of fun so at least there you know you know that you can you can add a bit of fun you can make a joke gifs memes um and you know even our our platform is also you know it's geared towards you know obviously solving you know creating meaningful conversations and solving um you know users problems but you know we also have features you know we have features for product search um signing up to a newsletter um you know things that aren't necessarily um i guess issue or problem focused like places that are you know it's like come sign up to our newsletter like join the community so there's there's kind of a lot more places that we can you know have inject a bit of fun and and personality without worrying about you know maybe stepping on users toes Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, yeah, nice. And and how would you um or what would you recommend? I think we've kind of covered it in terms of the question I think was where would you go as a junior designer to gain experience? Mm-hmm. Um what about the a similar question but slightly different is if you if you are not necessarily um, a conversation designer, but you are interested, you know, think about the time when you were starting to find your feet in conversation design and you've obviously built up a lot of experience in that time. But when you were first sort of starting out, what kind of things were you doing to build your knowledge? Because experience is one thing and you will gain knowledge through experience, but mm-hmm. there needs to be some degree of also just knowledge gathering and, and all that kind of stuff. So what kind of resources would you recommend for people who are starting out you know, they want to learn a bit more about conversation design. Is there any particular things that you would recommend that they do read, etc.? Um, I know they're in my bookmark somewhere. Um, I think I remember just, which I, I think might be like a, a word that we don't like to use now, but a lot of like chatbot um, resources, there's a ton, you know, tons of stuff on Medium. Again, um, the, you know, Hillary Blatt's group on Facebook, just anywhere that you can kind of find um, best practices and, and, um, you know, even testing out other people's bots, um, you know, go to, um, you know, Heyday or, or, you know, another, another kind of conversation design, other conversation design firms or what have you, and, you know, check out their clients, see how they design their bots, see how bots differ from, you know, from one vertical to another, um, yeah, again, reach out to, you know, reach out to colleagues. Um, I had, I had something else that just totally slipped away from me, but. It'll come back. It'll, it'll come back. Come back. <laughs> which, which, which of Heyday's bots was your favorite to work on or one that you would recommend people should check out if they want an example of a, of a good one? Hmm. That's a good question. We have some good ones, uh, some good ones coming up. Um, I would probably recommend Popeyes. It's quite extensive and probably has one of our better, um, product recommendation flows. Um, he also just kind of has a cute, he has a cool personality. His name's pop. He's a great guy. (laughs) Um, we also have, which is just like a personal, a personal favorite of mine. Um, but Wazo furniture, they, they're just kind of a small furniture brand. Um, they're in Montreal and Toronto has maybe one of my favorite, um, kind of misunderstanding messages that I ever wrote that somehow got approved by the client, which I'm just really happy about. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you can go find out. <laughs> um, 
what else? I would probably stick with Popeyes. That was a that was a favorite of mine for sure. Nice, nice. Any you can think of off the top of your head, Dustin? Any interest in uh, chatbots that you've experienced recently? Recently, no, I can't think of any. What about you? Not a chatbot, but I can think of a very uh, poor example of one that you should avoid. I mean, you've mentioned there the. <laughs> the... I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to try this one out? Um, you mentioned a live agent handover. Now, obviously. A lot of companies will start with live chat, monitor the live chat, and then they'll see what things they can automate from that live chat. It's an approach that we've used and advised on in the past is that if, you ha- if you're just starting out, stick a live chat on there, stick a resource behind it, learn what your customers are actually talking to you about, then figure out which things you can automate off the back of that. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with that approach. The problem sometimes is that if you've got very high volume, then the service on the live chat becomes terrible because the people who are managing it are managing 10 different chat conversations at any one time. And so I've told you very briefly at the beginning of the episode about the moving hassle that I've had. Uh, Sold the house, uh, cancelled my internet, moved in with my in-laws, got another house, set up the internet in that new house, turned up to sign the Tennessee Agreement, place was flooded, didn't move in, right? So I had to cancel the internet. And Virgin Media have got genuinely fantastic internet. And I don't know what, I don't know if you've got Virgin Media in the US or in France. Have you got Virgin Media or not? I think, I think so. Do. I think it might do, yeah. But anyway, it's fun. It's lightning fast. My my uh, father-in-law has sent me a picture of the speed test he's just done because he just set it up today, and it is lightning fast, right? But to cancel, it is nigh on impossible because you have to use a live chat thing. It turns out I reinstated it again afterwards, but I spent an hour and a half on live chat to Virgin Media just to say that I wanted to cancel my internet, which hasn't even been installed yet. I don't have a contract, just cancel the delivery. And I'm not lying, it took me an hour and a half because it was just horrid um, because I just had to sit and wait for the person to respond. And then what happened was they said, um, you're better off doing this on WhatsApp. So I was like, okay, do you want to move to WhatsApp? I was like, yeah, go on then, I'll try that. Yeah, I fancy, you know, having a bit of a exploration about how you're going to use this omni-channel sort of like communication thing with me. So they sent me a link to WhatsApp. I opened up WhatsApp, started the entire conversation again from the very beginning. What's your address? Where, where are you moving from? Where are you moving to? The whole thing. And then I eventually got through that, eventually got through verification. I got a message back saying, I'm sorry, the WhatsApp team aren't available right now. <laughs> They'll be starting at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. So I had to go back on the live chat again, reinstate that conversation. But when there was a new conversation with a new person, because the old one had been closed, and honestly, it was an absolute nightmare. So I don't have any long-winded way of saying, Dustin, that I don't have any very good examples of you to check out. But if you want to know how to do things poorly, definitely take out a Virgin Media subscription and then try and cancel it via the live chat. <laughs> well, well, that's, that's the like problem, right? <laughs> that's the problem. You can remember the bad ones. You don't necessarily remember the good ones. Exactly, exactly. That is a very, very good point and a, and a perfect way to uh, draw a line under the importance of good conversation design. Because even people having live chat 
are having conversations and in some way, shape or form, they have to be designed in some way, even the live chat ones, because they've got scripts to follow, processes to follow, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, and the importance of customer experience as well, because waiting for an hour and a half and being switched to another type of channel, uh, which doesn't bring across your context at all and starting the conversation again was was not good whatsoever. So Virgin Media, give Heyday a shout uh, if you are interested in fixing that <laughs> or give us a shout. I'm sure we'll be happy to help. Uh, anyway, Anna, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been absolutely fantastic. Really appreciate it. Congratulations again on the acquisition and on such success in the role. Hopefully, the team will continue to grow and you'll continue to move on to bigger and better things as always. So thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, sure thing. Thank you very much uh, for taking the time and, and having me on. No worries. Where can people uh, find out either about the jobs that you are going to be recruiting for or about Heyday itself if they wanted to start using I'm assuming they might have to become a Hootsuite customer if they want to start using Heyday, but where can people find out more? Where can people try it? Where can people find out about the jobs, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, I mean, our website is heyday.ai. Um, everything you'll need to know about our product uh, is there. Uh, LinkedIn as well, but I think we're now Heyday by Hootsuite now. Um, so our LinkedIn page... Um, and yeah, our, our careers page on Heyday as well, I think we have, I don't know, 25, some ridiculous number of open positions. Um, so scroll down to the bottom of our homepage, click on careers and uh, come join us. <laughs> nice. Sounds good. Sounds good. It'd be an absolute pleasure. Dustin, any, any, any final thoughts? Any closing thoughts? No, I think this was great. Thanks again for, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Thanks again. Nice one. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we will be back uh, probably tomorrow with uh, Looper and next week with Soundhound discussing uh, how to engineer or how to build voice experiences around noisy environments like the car and things like that. So that's going to be quite interesting. Um, so do tune in for that if you haven't already and go to vux.world forward slash subscribe if you either uh, cannot tune into the live episodes or if you want to get them on catch up or what have you, you will get all notifications through there. Thank you very much for tuning in. Anna, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Uh, and we will see you all soon. See you later.